Welcome to the Annie Jennings Poker Podcast Series. We're broadcasting live today from the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City, who's hosting the World Poker Tour, the Borgata Winter Open, and it's being played right now as we speak. Again, my name is Annie Jennings. I'm the host of the Poker Podcast Series, and I have a very special guest today, and his name is Roy Winston. He won the Summer Borgata Main Event. Welcome, Roy. Well, thanks for having me here, Annie. Oh, it's very exciting for all of our listeners to be able to get into your mind a little bit. I'm about to ask you for some tips, but first of all, I want to let our listeners know that Roy just got back from playing in Australia, where he reports he had an excellent time, and he's also a main blogger on CardPlayer.com, so please check that out, CardPlayer.com, and look for Roy Winston's blog. So, Roy, tell us winning tips from a winning player what do you think what can you share with most of our listeners they really want to be winning players what can you share what's kind of uh insight would you like to give well i think in these main events um they've transformed into very deep stack poker which is really how i came into poker i started playing cash games and i play a deep stack no limit game just like the main events which is why i think it was a uh, somewhat easier transition for me than some coming into the tournament uh, arena and I think you have there's lots of different winning styles and I think that the there are, I think these days two common styles that people go with in these big events and I think one of them is early on seeing a lot of flops calling a lot of pre-flop small raises and limps and uh, with almost uh, you know, not almost any hand but a wide range of hands being able to see a lot of flops and then depending on your post flop skill being able to outplay people after the flop or if you you know obviously if you're hitting uh, your flops um, and I think the second thing is which is more my style is a little bit tight early on. I don't play a lot of hands until later when you get to be uh, bigger antes and blinds and so on. And, and I try to pick my spots very carefully. And I think both styles can be very successful. And I think probably the biggest mistake that the um, uh, new entry, new entrant into the tournament world make is they, they bluff too much and they make too many bad choices. They put their money in uh, with little or nothing or a, or a you know a medium sized draw instead of a big draw and and. For me, about about putting my tournament life on the line, I want to make sure that, uh, if, if at all possible, I'm a huge favorite in the hand. You know, and I always like to say 80% of the time, I want to put the majority of my money in being an 80% favorite. Can't always do that, but that's my that's my, my goal in those situations. All right, that's wonderful. Now tell me something. When you sit down at a final table, what's one of the first things that goes through your mind? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, tr I try to size up my opponents, and I think even when I sit down at the preliminary table or, or a final table or any table, I want to figure out my opponents as easily as possible. You know, I'll tell you, when I sat down at the Borgata final table a few months ago, um, I played with several of the people before, and it was a tough final table. Mike Matisau, uh, Haralbus uh, Vulgaris, uh, Eugene Todd, Mark Weitzman, and a new player uh, who hadn't had much experience, but the four that had... You know, I'll tell you the truth. I went back. I looked at them on their on their DVDs for their, the other things that they've been at final tables for, and I studied them. And I had the mm -hmm. opportunity to play with them Good. the whole day before, so I studied them the day before. And I try to pick up little subtleties in their game where I can, you know, exploit those advantages later on. And it, and it did help me. You know, it helped me uh, in, in tight situations. So it's figuring out my opponents, whether they're weak, whether they're strong, and... Uh, you're trying to avoid them when they're strong, or if I'm really strong and I think they're strong, then I know they'll pay me off. You know, there's a lot of a lot of advantages to having a good read on your opponent. Absolutely, and that's actually one of the hardest things our listeners report to learn is how to start reading opponents. Do you have any suggestions on how people can start getting a good read on their opponents? Well, you know what I and I wrote about this in a blog a few days ago. I think that most people they sit down at the table and they plug in their 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 uh, uh, iPod into their head uh -huh. and, and they they. They look at their cards and they basically zone out until they have a good hand or a hand they want to play. 
But I, uh, for me, in a tournament, the first thing I do is start watching my opponents. When they're sitting there between hands, I look at them. What do they look like when they're relaxed? I look at them when they're in a hand. I look at them when they're in a hand weak and strong. And I try to pick up any physical tells I can, and I catalog those in my head. You know, I have a dozen or 15 things I look for on each player. Um, I think, you know, my history of being a physician helps me in that I'm, I'm used to looking at uh, physical signs in people. I look at their breathing patterns and their heart rate. I watch their eyes when they look at a flop, you know, particularly when I'm not in the hand, when they're playing somebody else, and I can just sit there and study them. And I think that's the single biggest thing for me. You know, when, when, they're, when a flop comes, I'm not looking at the flop. I'm looking at my opponent. I'm looking at his reaction to the flop. And I think your initial reaction to something is very hard to, to fake, if you will. Um, you know, it's the old thing when you're swinging a tennis racket. Some people do crazy expressions with their face. They can't stop because when you're doing one conscious activity, uh, a lot of times the unconscious activity will, will betray your, your, the true nature of your hand or, <clears throat> excuse me, how strong you are and what's going on. That sounds very advanced, <laughs> and that's why you're the pro, absolutely. I have a question for you. i just love to know, what are your favorite hands? Which ones do you lo just love to see, other than pocket aces? Well, sure, any you know any large pocket <laughs> pair usually makes me happy. You know, I like the suited connectors, like you know 8-9 suited, 9-10 suited, and the suited one gappers, like 8-10 suited, and things like that. I, I enjoy those hands. I mean, you know, I stay away from the from the weak aces, you know, ace six through ace nine, even ace ten and ace jack, I hate. Very you know, scary. I stay away mm -hmm. from those hands. You know, the smaller aces in a limb position, particularly if they're suited where you can make a low little straight or do something with, uh, you know, for the right price is worth it. Particularly if you're in a blind, you know, I mean, I'm not one of those people you're going to see turnover, you know, three nine when I'm not in an unraised blind, though. And you see that a lot today, which is interesting. And I think a lot of people try to get overly creative. And that actually goes back to what you said, what are some of the things? And I think being creative in poker is good. Being overly creative, I think, will look good in the short run, you know, when you, when you play jack two and, uh, you know, two deuces flop on Suddenly, the, right, <laughs> by look, a miracle. Right. And, and you look, <laughs> and you, you know, you feel like a genius, but in general, when you play those kinds of hands, I think in the long run, it's a losing proposition. What do you think of the dreaded jacks? How do you like to play them? I don't know, and I've had a lot of them lately, and I've won with some and lost with others. I think that they're a, they're a problematic hand, and I think with those medium to to not the not the really good pairs, and even queens, I think that there's you know sometimes I limp with them, and if I don't hit the flop, I'll discard them, and I I think better to lose a little than get yourself stuck. And I think it's an interesting phenomenon. Someone who plays king-10, for instance, and hits their king um, is a little weary that maybe there's a better king and is cautious. But someone who has two jacks and the flop comes with a king, all of a sudden they still think they have a good hand when they, you know, they could even beat king-deuce. And, mm -hmm. and I think they fall in love with that, you know, looking down at two jacks or two queens or two tens. And, and I think that's a very dangerous proposition. You know, playing it a little aggressively before the flop, okay, but, but you don't want to put your self on the line when you have overcards on the flop unless you're sure your opponents missed the flop. Absolutely. I agree with that. The dreaded hand, the lo the hand we love to hate. <laughs> right. Absolutely. What about ace king? Do you think players have a tendency to overvalue the ace king? I think so sometimes. And again, it's it's one of those hands. Now in a cash game, I really am not as big a fan of ace king as I am in a in a tournament. And in a tournament Depending, especially the late stages, if you're shorthanded, ace-king becomes maybe more and more valuable. But you know the thing about ace-king, you know, everybody says, oh, pocket deuces is a favorite to ace-king, and it is a slight favorite, but, but ace-king is not a big underdog to, to only two hands in the deck, you know, obviously kings and aces. And I think, and even in kings you have a shot. Um, but any other hand, it's basically a coin flip. So there is a security of feeling no matter what someone turns over, whether it's pocket queens or any pocket pair or any other two cards, you're never way behind. You're, you know, at, at worst case about a coin flip. So there is, there is that. There's only two hands that really sting you when you're, when you're playing ace-king. So I think people get excited by it. 
Uh, and because a lot of people like to play, you know, Ace Jack, Ace Queen, you're a huge favorite when when you're up against those fans. And you know, if they're playing Ace Rag, but it's always so how, how sad it is every time you turn over Ace King, someone has Ace Six, and the flop comes Six Six. You know, but that's the nature of the beast, I think. As you were telling us earlier, that tells are very hard to disguise certain things that you would look for in a player. Now, speaking about yourself, have you noticed any tells that you have, and how did you overcome them? Well, you know, I have a few friends that are that I'm players that I'm very good friends with, and you know, we watch each other. And when I when one of them sees me doing something, and it happens, you know, where I unconsciously start doing something mm-hmm. that gives away a little bit of my hand, and. Uh, um, they try to correct them and, and you know I watch myself on some of the taped shows and things too to see if I can pick up anything that I'm doing some of me the thing that I do is sometimes my time to act you know which you would call as a time tell when it's when you're in a hand in a, in a tense situation whether you act too quickly too slowly in the middle that's also a great tell looking at someone's speed of action and mm-hmm. you know, a new player a lot of times is very excited by a by a big hand so they act very quickly and they look like you know like a puppy a little bit and then sometimes you get some of these um, experienced or mediumly experienced kids, I'll call them. You know, they just transitioned from the Internet to playing live. And they sit there and they take forever with a big hand. And they try to, you know, stall, 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 stall. And that's also a giveaway. And I think just being consistent, you know, the, the model for that is Jesus Ferguson, where every, you know, he's, he's con- whether it's a big hand, a little hand, a medium hand, he's very consistent. And I think that that is, is a, you know, you could either be completely inconsistent or completely consistent, but in the <laughs> middle one, is trouble. Choose one or the other. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you happen to play online? You know, I play online a little bit, not a lot. I, I, um, I much prefer live because I think my advantage is reading a player. So being able to see the player to me is a big advantage. And I'll play some, some of the, the big tournaments online occasionally. And, and I like some heads-up play online. But other than that, and heads-up play is fun and it's hard to do in a casino these days because they don't make as much money at the casino, so they, they don't really love heads-up play. Uh, sure. And I think for me that's a lot of fun. Matter of fact, I just bought one of those Poker Pro heads-up machines. I ordered oh, one yeah? of those to, in the house that plays all the games and you can play heads up when friends come over and I think that'll be fun. How long have you been playing poker? Well, I've been playing poker, you know, since I was a kid and I think yeah. um, mostly it was seven card stud and those games and I really only started playing Hold'em, Texas Hold'em about five years ago and No Limit maybe three and a half years ago. But it was, you know, once you're in, are good with game theory and numbers and math, I think it, it's it's not that hard. It's the same game, just different, you know, different rules. Practice. Right. is really the key and noticing what you're doing wrong keeping a log perhaps of your tendencies your leaks in your game trying to become a better player with every game that you play right you know and I'm, and I'm also very self-critical after a session you know I think back on a few hands and I'll discuss them I, I went out last night uh, for drinks with Lane Flack and we sat around and I talked about how a few of the bigger hands I lost how he might have played and what, do, what would he do differently and I think people like to discuss hands for two reasons. They, sometimes they like to discuss them to show how smart they were, which, you know, that's a waste of time. But really, I love it when someone points out to me, hey, you know, you might have played this differently and let me think about it. And, you know, I was in a big situation with uh, Freddie Deebs in the, um, the Bellagio Five Diamond a month or so ago. And the way he played a hand against me was very interesting. And later on, I went and, you know, I, I never ask a player what they have in the hand or in the game. But later on, I ran into him. We discussed the hand a little bit. And, you know, um, and I, I trust what he tells me about what he had, but it was just a very interesting way where he um, he limped under the gun, and we've been at the same table all day, and he'd never limped under the gun before. Comes around to me on the button, and I have two queens, and um, I was a little weary of his limp under the gun. Could be aces, could be kings, could be ace-king, something like that. And, and I did throw a good raise out there, which he immediately called, and we wound up heads up. Uh, he didn't re-raise me, which let me think he didn't have kings, and he probably didn't have ace-king. Um, well, he certainly could have had aces. And then the flop came uh, something like four, five, 
uh, seven, two to a suit, and he immediately went all in. And he and I were both very deep at the time. We had more than double average. And I went up throwing the hand away. And later on, he told me he had uh, pocket sixes. So he, he, what he did is he flopped the, uh, you know, the up and down straight draw. Plus, he felt like his pair might be good if I had a big ace or something. And you know, for me to call in that situation, uh, it was tough. And you know, a lot of guys love to make those hero calls. I like to make hero laydowns. And mm -hmm. I think that you know, if I have a weakness in my game, I probably throw away too many hands. I, I had a right. yesterday. I threw away, a, or two days ago, I threw away a miserable hand in a cash game for a you know monstrously large pot. But you know, and then of course the whole I was playing at a table with guys I play with a lot, and I got teased for unmercifully for about four hours about how could I lay a hand down like that. But um, I laid down the second nut in an Omaha game where I felt like the guy had the nuts. And exactly. Yeah, and even though it was a big pot, and but it was a big call. It was he. It was a pot limit game, and he repotted, so it was a full pot to recall. Uh, I rather make a bad laydown than a bad call. You know, it sounds like you like to play when you have an advantage. Is that correct to assess? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm not. I I really. I like, you know, a lot of guys say, oh, let's gamble. I want to gamble. I, I don't want to gamble. I want, I want you to want win. invest. You I want to invest win. in yeah. hand. I, sure. I want to put my money in good with a big advantage, and, and that's where I think, uh, I think that's why I do well in this. And I, I've, I've, lately I had a good Bellagio five diamond where I played six events and uh, two final tables a win and cashed in four of them. And, you know, people will ask how you do it. And I said, I, I really just, I really, every time I say, is this the best possible place to put a lot of money in? I really try to put my money in good. And sometimes you can in a tournament because the blinds are going up and you got to pick a spot and you just haven't had situations all day and it happens. But, but I think usually what happens is people run out of patience before they run out of chips. And I think that you have to really ask yourself, was that the best spot to put my money in? See, that's a really good point, and I encourage our listeners to pay close attention, re-listen to this podcast. I have another question for Ray Winston. How much does intuition play a part of your game? Um, you know, the, the intuition, like, do I, do I think I know what card is coming? Not so much, but I, I think it's the math behind it. Do I, I know what my chances of that card are coming? And it's, a, it's an interesting point, because a lot of people sit and talk about EV and, and whether or not you know, they're getting the right price to make a call with the amount of money in the pot and so on. And, you know, in cash games against random players, a lot of that makes a lot of sense. But in tournaments, the EV to me is not as important as if I know I'm beat, I don't care what the return on my money I'm getting. I'm not throwing another dollar in the pot because what's the point? You know, even if I think, you know, the math dictates I should call, I'm not going to call if I really feel based on my read or, you know, intuition, whatever people want to call it, if I really feel like I'm beat. And on the backside of that, you know, I made a... I made a big call against a guy down in Canada during the during the WPT event in in Fallsview, Ontario, where it was a very very large pot, and uh, basically it was for all my chips. And I called him with King High because I knew it was good. And I don't do that often. And I think the the kind of guy that makes a lot of those Ace High King High calls, um, by and large, is going to lose a lot of those. Mm -hmm. And when you lose them, it's miserable. Um, but uh, the occasional times that you're, you know, you're really sure based on the situation and when you replay the hand in your head and what it looked like, uh, I think that that's, that helps. All right. Final question for Ray Winston. How should players or how do players go from being a good player to being a great player? Well, you know, I think it's, I think it's experience. One thing is experience and the ability to learn and the, the ability to look at your mistakes that you've made and correct some of them. And you keep, I still make mistakes. I mean, you keep making them, but you want, don't want to keep making the same mistakes. You want to be able to correct your mistakes and move forward. And I think learn from those around you. Um, I have a group of players that I sit and talk to. Uh, Michael Binger, who I think is a gifted player. 
uh, Lane Flack, who I talked about, and a bunch of others. And I have a few young internet players, Noah Schwartz, who we sit and talk about stuff with. And we talk about hands and how we would have played them and what you might do differently. And when we play at a table with each other, we'll go back through some of the hands. And I think that that, you know, seeing other people, how they might have played them, what they might have done, and learning and you know, picking on yourself for mistakes you might have made. Uh, you know, I made, a, I think, a terrible mistake at the end of the Bellagio Five Diamond main event where I, I overplayed a hand, and even though I was a little bit ahead, I, I really was a, not a good place for me to get my money in, and I wound up losing the hand. And I think that that really cost me the tournament. I was in a great position. I was in the top three or four in chips with 55 people left and, uh, you know, $2.5 million first prize, and I felt like I, I lost focus just for an instant. And No Limit Hold'em is such an unforgiving game. You lose a little bit of your focus and I think you're uh, yeah done. how'd you come back did you come back from that how do you how do you handle a bad beat well it, you know, it wasn't even that bad a beat it was just just got a little unlucky but I, I I finished like 42nd and I lost a lot of chips and I the day ended and so I got to go home and think about it but I went from a position of being you know double average chips to being well under average in chips and it it's tough and and the blinds are big and you know how long you can survive is is related to how good you can get your money in a lot uh, and I think that that's that's the issue. Sure. If you had to give someone advice on how to come back from a bad beat, let's say they, they haven't lost too much, but they did take a psychological whipping, you might say. Any ideas there? Well, you know, it's, that's, that's, you got to look into your own self mentally. And I used to, you know, two, three years ago, I used to get crazy about those things. They used to really make me upset. And these days, I just take them as part of the game and they don't, they don't even upset right. me. I mean, I, I hate having it happen. But on the other hand, as soon as the next hand, that hand is gone, you know, I file away the information about the player, of course, but I don't ever, I don't actually go after that player after that. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think of it in any way other than it's just a hand that happened. And, and I think I don't let it affect me going forward. And I, and I, it was hard to get to that point, but once you're at that point, it's really, it's much easier. And, you know, just like when a player shows you a big bluff and you throw a hand away and they taunt you with it, I don't care. It doesn't, it's like, hey, nice play and uh, let's go. Uh, um, but I also... I love it when they do that in a way because now I've seen what they look like when they're when they're on a big bluff. So next time it'll be harder for them to get away with that. Now, do you still practice medicine? I do a little bit. Really? Uh, I'm taking this year and playing 90% poker just because I've had some success in the past six months and I want to give it a year and see how it goes. And see how it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you. You might as well. It seems like this is the right time for you. Right. So absolutely. We've been speaking with Roy Winston. He has won the summer Borgata main event. Are you playing in the event uh, starting tomorrow, the 10,000 buy-in? Yeah. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, Good. No, and I, I've, I've had a lot of fun this year. I just got, I was telling you before, I got back from Australia where, right. although I broke out of the main event a little early, I almost won the heads up, finished third, and in the pot limit, mixed events, finished fourth. So I've been having a lot of final tables, which is really... You know, I've, I, any event I'm in, I want to win. You know, like I kid around and I say tournament play is really very disappointing because really at the end there's only one happy person. But, you know, when you look back on it, when I make final tables, I'm, I'm, it, makes, it gives me a feeling of satisfaction. Even though I always want to win, it, it's, you know, you got to look back and critically evaluate your play. And it's, it's very hard to win every tournament you enter. Matter of fact, even Phil Helmuth can't do that. <laughs> no, although he does try. We've got to give him that. Everyone tries. And of course, of course, we're looking forward to your success tomorrow. We'll be following your progress. That's for sure. Thank and you. I want to thank everyone for being with us today and listening to Roy Winston. Just a reminder, Roy has a blog on cardplayer.com. So be sure you do visit that and get lots of tips and strategies on how to go from a good player to a great player. Again, my name is Annie Jennings. We are broadcasting live from the Borgata Casino in Atlantic City. And, of course, for more information on the tournament schedule, please visit www.theborgata.com. Thanks so much, all. We'll see you next time. Thanks again, Roy. Oh, thanks for having me.